You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. Revelation 3, and I have just enjoyed this uh, study. And as I got into studying out uh, Revelation 3 here and getting into the church of Sardis, uh, definitely a lot of introspection. We look at these different churches and we recognize that these churches were local bodies of believers just like us. And they had, they had their problems just like us. But this church is different. The church at Laodicea has always been the one in my mind that has already always stuck out. But as I was studying this church here, the personal application, the awareness of a great danger just was very prevalent as I was studying this out. And so let's, uh, let's stand together, if you're physically able. Uh, Revelation 3, we'll read together uh, this letter here. We'll go through verse number 6. And uh, Revelation chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 6. I'll start on verse 1, join me on verse 2, and we'll read responsively through verse 6. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And here when we look at these seven churches, we look at the church in Ephesus and we see the, the careless church. We look at Smyrna and we see the crown church. We look at Pergamos and we saw the compromising church. And then uh, Thyatira, we looked at the corrupted church. Tonight, as we go into chapter 3, we're going to look at Sardis, and Sardis is the feeble church, the feeble church, and let's pray. Father, I pray that you would just bless now these next few moments, and as we open your word, as we study it, I pray that you would just bring to light, uh, Lord, help us see the importance of this admonition, and I pray that you would work in our hearts and uh, each and every one that is in, uh, that is under the sound of my voice, those that are uh, here in person and those that are online, I pray that you would do a, a great work in our midst, and Lord, uh, may we respond 
and act in the ways that would be pleasing to you. So work now, please, for Christ's sake. Amen. You can be seated. So when we, we look here at this uh, church, we see several things uh, in this. Uh, the very first, let me jump back over, I closed my Bible. Uh, here, when we look at chapter 3, uh, we see uh, verse number 1, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God. So uh, we see uh, the one who is speaking, uh, he has these spirits seven spirits, and we've seen these seven spirits before. Uh, go back to chapter 1 and look at verse number 4, and these were addressed as we went through that chapter there, Revelation 1-4. It says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And uh, when we look at the seven spirits here and in Revelation 3, 1, uh, the seven spirits, uh, the spirits of God, seven spirits of God here, there is one Holy Spirit. Uh, but this one Holy Spirit has many essences, many uh, attributes, and the, the number seven uh, could be identified with the seven churches. It could be identified with seven as the number, number of completion. It could be identified with seven as a, the number, they say, it's the number of God. It's God's number, seven. And so uh, wherever that falls in, uh, we, we recognize that uh, he that hath the seven spirits uh, of God here, it's, it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the, the author of these, uh, of these uh, uh, letters here. So he is the one that is writing uh, to the churches. And so uh, he is the one that has the spirits there. And, and so uh, Revelation 6, uh, 1.16 uh, tells us who it was that was uh, that that was holding these seven uh, these spirits of God had the spirits of God uh, Revelation one sixteen he said and he had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two edged sword and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength and when I saw him I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death, which write the things which thou hast seen, and, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So, so we see here... Uh, the seven spirits of God, we've already referenced that uh, previously, and now we see also in Revelation 3.1 of uh, the seven stars, and so uh, he said that uh, uh, Revelation 3.1, unto the angel at the church in Sardis write, these things saith he that hath the, the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And so uh, the, the Son of God, the Spirit of God, and He is the one that holds the seven stars. Now, go back to Revelation 
And we'll look at that, uh, those stars there again. It says, Under the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that, hath, that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. So here, the angel is the messenger. Uh, the angel, the messenger, that's the pastor. And so he's writing these letters to the angel. That is the only way I will ever be considered an angel. Uh, and so, uh, but that is, that is the title. The, the angel, an angel in the Bible, is just a messenger. And so uh, when we think about angels, we think of these perfect beings that are floating around in the sky uh, with wings, and uh, that's not the case because we've had, uh, we've, we have had angels uh, that have been messengers, and they just look like men. Uh, and so uh, that was the, how the Lord revealed them to us. Uh, but here, uh, these, these angels here, he's talking about the, the messengers, the pastors of these representative churches. And, and the Lord walks in the midst of these candlesticks, which are the churches. So the candlestick is representing the church, and the pastor is representing uh, the the uh, angel is representing the pastor. Uh, but when we look at this, we see the one that is walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks and has the seven stars. He is the one that is the head of the church. Uh, go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23. Ephesians 5, 23. Ephesians 5.23, the Bible says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. And the body he is referencing is the church. Uh, he identifies the church as a body with a head. Uh, the members uh, are the, the body of believers, assembled, an assembled body of believers, uh, and each one represents uh, and the function of the church, and every member is supposed to have a working function, just like our physical bodies. He identifies the, the eye, he identifies the nose, uh, he, he identifies the ears as he's talking about uh, the, the uh, body, uh, but the Lord is the head. He is the, the one that is the head of the church. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So just two, two books over. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have uh, the preeminence. And so when we look at this, and the one who is walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, who has the seven angels, and uh, he, is, he is the one that is the head. Uh, the pastor is not the head of the church. The Lord is the head of the church. The board is not the head of the church. The Lord is the head of the church. The body is not the head of the church. Well, this is what we want. Collectively, corporately speaking, just because a majority would want something to happen does not mean that they are the head. The Lord is the head of the church. 
And that that's understanding is something that all of us have to have. There, there, is, there is a spiritual leading in God's house. It's God's. We call it God's house because it's His. And that is, that is not just uh, a, a statement that we throw out. It's God's house because He has purchased it. He owns it. It belongs to him. He is the head. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He has purchased the church. And the church is under his leadership and his ownership. We are just stewards of what he has given to us. As a pastor, uh, though I am called a shepherd, I'm an under-shepherd. But really, all I am is a steward. I'm a steward to navigate and to, uh, to direct uh, the, 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 uh, the ministry here. And, and so, uh, but the church belongs to the Lord. Now, uh, let's go back to Revelation chapter 3, and let's look again at verse number 1. And there is so much in this chapter, and I'm looking at the clock back there. Uh, and so in the next 50 minutes, I'm going to do my best. <laughs> the nursery workers would kill me. All right. Uh, no, in the next few moments, I'm going to try to uh, dive through this and, and try to help bring us all up to uh, what I believe God wants us to see tonight. Uh, look again uh, at verse number one. Under the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits. Now, let me back up just a second. God always deals with the leaders first. Here, when he's writing to these churches, though he is going to talk about the, the body, the assembly, he starts with the pastor. When he deals with the home, he doesn't start with mama. He starts with the, with the dad. He starts with the husband. When he deals with the children... He deals with the children after he deals with the parents. God is a God of order. And when we start getting things out of order, problems arise. And, and here God is just working through this and he, he addresses this problem and he's addressing it directly to the pastor of a problem. And so uh, he, he states here, uh, he says, these things saith, he that hath the seven stars, I know thy works. Now, when we look at this little statement, this statement is a statement that we will see in every church. Every one of the churches that are listed in, uh, in Revelation 2 and 3, these seven churches of Asia Minor, all, all seven of them, uh, the Lord addresses the works. Uh, so look at, uh, uh, go back to verse number 2 of chapter 2. Uh, chapter 2, verse 2, when he's talking to the church at Ephesus, he says, he says I know thy, what? Works. Uh, go to Revelation 2, 9, uh, and he's talking to the church at Smyrna. Uh, at verse 9, he says, I know thy works. Uh, verse 13, uh, going to the church in Pergamos, I know thy works. Uh, verse 19, as he's dealing with Thyatira, I know thy works. Sardis in Revelation 3, 2, he said, uh, let's see here, uh, he says, uh, is it in verse 2? 
verse 1, uh, he said, I know thy works. Uh, then we go to the church in Philadelphia, uh, verse number 8. He said, I know thy works. Verse number 15 of chapter 3, uh, the church at Laodicea, he said, I know thy works. So here the Lord is addressing the works of these churches. Now, all of these churches obviously had works. These churches that were being mentioned, they weren't, these weren't churches that were doing nothing. And just because a church is a busy church doesn't mean it's the church that it should be. You know, there are a lot of churches that have works, but they never have a soul saved. There are a lot of churches that have works that do good things, but they never pass out a gospel track or they, they don't communicate the gospel. Or if somebody gets saved, it's almost an afterthought. Churches are turning into social clubs. And that's not God's plan. You know, we're not, we're not called, we're not called as a church to have a great children's program. I was a youth pastor for 17 years, but you won't find a, a youth pastor in the Bible. Youth activities... I'm not saying that they're not useful, but you're not going to find it in the Bible. You see, these are tools that may be used to help edify and build people, so then they will, do, they will follow the Lord, they will uh, develop a relationship, and there are tools that you can come alongside. But there, there are all kinds of different programs and a lot of different works that people can feel great about. But doesn't fulfill the mission of the church. And so here we see these churches, all seven churches, they were noted for works, but that wasn't enough. And so when we get to this church, and I'm, uh, I'm just, time is just rolling, uh, but uh, we get to this church here, uh, the church in Sardis, and as we look at this church, we will not find an approval. Now these other churches, when we looked at them, there was an approval, and then there was an accusation, and then there was an admonition. The church in Sardis had no approval. God said, I know your works, but there is no commendation for this church. There is only an accusation. This accusation is going to come, and, and this church uh, here, we see that there was uh, this 
the Lord goes right into an accusation. There were a lot of approvals for these other churches, but there wasn't an approval for this church. There are going to be some people that are identified who within the church uh, that did not, uh, did not have their garment soiled, that they were right, that they had lived pure, and that they were going to be blessed because of that. But as a whole, this church was not, uh, there was there was no, no, uh, there was no approval of anything there. It was just a, an acknowledgement, I know your works, but no approval. So let's see what the Lord jumps into here. We see, uh, secondly, we see that there was an accusation. He said uh, in verse number uh, one, he said, I know thy works that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Wow. What an accusation. What a sobering statement. Thou hast the name that thou livest. Everybody around you thinks that you're alive. Everybody around thinks that the church is a great church. But the Lord looked at it on a different level. You have a name that you live, but thou art dead. And it wasn't just some accusation from some critic. This was the truth. It was absolutely the truth because of the one who made the statement. The one who owns the church, the one who is the head of the church, the one who gave himself for the church. He purchased the church with his own blood. And so the Lord looks at this church and he says, you know what? Everybody else thinks this is a great church. Everybody else thinks that this church is a church that is alive. Uh, you have a name that thou livest, but art dead. And so just a, a terrible uh, summation, an assessment that the Lord has made about this church and the condition uh, that, uh, of this church. This is a condition that no church should ever hear. This is a condition that no church would ever uh, desire to hear from the Lord. You have a name that thou livest, but art dead. Dr. Vance Havner used to say that spiritual uh, ministries, they go through four stages. And of course, this doesn't have to be all of the stages, and these don't have to uh, follow the case. But historically speaking, when you're looking at ministries and you look at churches and uh, you look at some of the major um, uh, movements over the years, uh, he, he said, uh, Vance Havner said, these four stages, it's first a man. And then it goes to a movement. And then it goes to a machine. And then lastly, it turns into a monument. And you stop and think about that, and it just, it just sort of, it sounds terrible. But when you stop and think about our history, and you think about the Moody Church in Chicago. I mean, D.L. Moody was the originator of Sunday school. 
He was the one that reached out to the inner city children and brought them to Christ and built the great Moody Church in Chicago. And now it is an empty building that people go into just to be able to see as a museum. This is where D.L. Moody used to preach. Think about Charles Haddon Spurgeon. In the, in the uh, tabernacle, I just lost the name of it. Um, anybody, you remember Brother David? Spurgeon's Tabernacle, what do they call that? Um, anyway, it's gone. It uh, doesn't matter. Uh, but Charles Haddon Spurgeon, I mean, in the 1800s, this, this man, uh, he, he uh, preached. Uh, he was an amazing uh, pastor, preacher. Uh, thousands would come to hear him uh, preach. And many of us uh, still, we read the devotionals that he had. Uh, but uh, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, his tabernacle uh, is empty. Uh, Charles G. Finney, the same thing. J. Frank Norris. Uh, J. Frank Norris, uh, born in the late 1800s, uh, pastored up until the, I believe, 1952. And uh, uh, in 1940s, he pastored two of the world's largest churches at the same time. He pastored in, uh, he pastored in uh, uh, Detroit, Michigan uh, and Fort Worth, Texas. And, and he was traveling by train and plane back and forth, pastoring these two churches back in the, uh, the late 40s and early 50s. But they're empty. Think about uh, uh, Tennessee Temple and Dr. Lee Robertson, Temple University. About two years ago, maybe three years ago, they completely shut the college down, sold it off because they had no students. The church moved from, from the, it was, it was the largest church in the world up until First Baptist Church in Hammond. And that church is completely closed. They're just a small handful of people. The Millers, their son, graduated from Tennessee Temple. You know, there, there are some, some ministries that have, have just had a worldwide impact, but they went from that man to a machine, to a movement, to a machine, to a monument. And nobody would ever think that that would have happened until it happened. Somewhere along the line, these great churches, they stopped being great. And great doesn't mean big. A great church is a church that is Fulfilling the commission, the mission that God has called them to. And when we look at this church here in, uh, in uh, Revelation chapter 3, we find that there was a church that was not fulfilling the mission. And, and the Lord said, this church, everybody thinks it's a great church, but I'm looking at this church and I'm saying this church is no longer a church. 
because they're not doing what they're called to do. Uh, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Uh, Luke 19, 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Mark 16, 15, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, this church in Sardis, at one time, it was a church that was doing exactly that. It was a church that had a candlestick. And just like the church in Ephesus, the Lord said, if you don't repent, I'm going to remove your candlestick. I'm going to remove your franchise. You will no longer, no matter what you put on that sign, the Lord is going to look at him and say, you are no longer a church. Now, that's what's taking place with this church in Sardis. This church is on the cusp. This church is on the edge of losing its right to be a church. It had the name that it lived. It had a name of being a church uh, that was alive. Uh, that was vibrant, that was a place where uh, things were going on for the Lord. But the Lord said, you have that name, but you're dead. You're dead. So it was once alive, it was once vibrant, it was once a place where lives were changed and souls were saved and baptistry waters were stirred and people were joining. And, and those, those things should be normal for a church. Now let's be honest. Those things were normal for Bible Baptist Church. And I understand we're in COVID. And I understand there's been a different mentality. And we started our bus route back up and we have, you know, 30-something on the first week and then we had like two a couple weeks ago. People are afraid. And there is a different mentality. But the circumstances of the world around us does not change our mission. And I'm afraid what has happened is the circumstances around us has given us an excuse You know, people still want to get saved. I, I know of two that got saved on Saturday. Uh, Rachel and I were soul winning together, and we got to win an 11th grade young man to the Lord, and that was a blessing. And then Mrs. Cole and Mrs. Brown, uh, they were out. They got to win a, a lady to the Lord. There are still people that want to get saved. They're still out there. The Lord hidden, he hasn't stopped working on hearts. How's he doing in our heart? Sobering, isn't it? It doesn't matter what we say about our church. What does the Lord say about our church? This church in Sardis, thou hast the name that thou livest, but art dead. 
so sobering. And I'm looking into my own life, and I'm looking at a church as a whole, and I, granted, I, we, I understand that this world that we're in right now, it is different. It is. I was talking with Brother Callahan today. Uh, he came in and preached chapel for us, and uh, we sat down for lunch, and we we're talking about the, just the different dynamics of things that uh, we're fighting and uh, obstacles that we're facing in, uh, in life. And everybody has them on their own personal level, uh, in your businesses, uh, in your work, uh, we've got them in churches as well. There's different uh, issues of things that we fight with uh, and struggle with. But the reality is the mission of the church has not changed. But the churches have changed. Churches have changed. There are people that are watching right now that would love to be here sitting right next to you. And because of the scenario that we're in right now, they're not able to be here. But there are some that are at home just because it's convenient. And when the body does not assemble, it impacts the whole body. Amen. If you are physically able to be in God's house, you ought to be in God's house. Those doors squeak, walk through them. Walk through them. And the churches, and it's not our church, it's not just uh, some churches across the board. Churches right now, uh, there are churches everywhere that are closing. Think about many of these, these churches that are in rural communities that are filled with seniors. Now, I understand our seniors, their, their immunity is at a different spot. Definitely there's differences. But, but the doctor is not God. You know, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. Do we believe that? So is my time COVID or is my time when God says it's my time? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? We're, we're giving, we're, we're allowing the world to dictate how we are living our life, how our churches are operating. And what's happening is when the body now is being pulled apart and people are not assembling, it is impacting the spirit of the church, it is impacting the effectiveness of the church. And then when, uh, when the mission of the church is not being uh, engaged in by, uh, by the, the body of believers, then what do we find? Then our impact in our community is going to lesson and it doesn't matter how good we feel about ourselves. this church and and I'm not saying our church is dead I'm not saying that at all all I'm saying is I don't want this to be our church I don't want this to be the case I don't want this to be something that the Lord says hey you know what you guys are you're right on the edge. 
You have a name that thou livest, but art dead. You know, if we are dead, then we are doing nothing. If we aren't dead, we are doing something. Right? So what are we doing? So what are we doing? Well, I'm here. Not, that's not enough. Wake up. Wake up. It's not, it's not enough. Just being here. That's what happened to this church. Good people. No sin issues are mentioned. This was not a church that had division problems. This was not a church that had problems where the Lord is talking about doctrine. No doctrinal problems. Uh, the the uh, commentators say that there was no, no division in the church, and, and they said there was no activity, there was no friction. And he said there, they said that there's no friction because there was no action. Action brings friction. And, and here he was, uh, the Lord here is talking about this church and the needs that were there. And he's saying, uh, you, are, you, are, you have a name uh, that thou livest, but art dead. And so this church was a comfortable church. This church enjoyed being together. People would, would come in and think, man, this is a great church. Spirit is great. But the Lord looked at it and said, no, there's a problem. So then there's an admonition here real quickly. Look at verse number two. He said, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. He said, listen, there are things that are, that are going the wrong direction. And he said, you need to be watchful. You need to be aware of what's going on. Uh, strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. He said, you better strengthen them or they're going to die. It's going to uh, go off the edge here. Uh, he says, uh, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. He said, the works that you have done, he says, I'm not finding those works uh, mature. I have not found those works uh, satisfiable or satisfaction. Uh, he said, there's no satisfaction there. I've not found them perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. So here we see this admonition, and this admonition is that uh, they were to be watchful. Uh, he said, watch. Uh, he says, or I'm going to come on you as a thief. And what he's talking about is just judgment. He says, I'm just going to bring judgment. The consequences will be uh, sure. And he said, you got to strengthen the things which remain. He says, remember what you have heard. Remember. Go back to your, go back to pre-COVID. What was your spirit like? Go back to pre-COVID. What was your, your walk with the Lord like? Go back to pre-COVID. What was our what was our soul winning like? I know mine has been infected, uh, impacted. 
unaffected. And, I, and I'm looking at that. And so he said, remember what thou hast received and heard. He said, hold fast, repent. He said, you've got to get things right. And ministries, they go through different seasons. And we are in a unique season in this time. But we don't want to end up like this church that the Lord said, you're dead. That's not where we want to be. So what can we do? What can we be aware of? Several things I want us to be aware of in our, own, in our ministry. Let's not be complacent in our walk with God. Individually, don't be complacent in your walk with God. Spend time in the Bible. Don't be complacent in our responses to God's word. You know what, pre-COVID, you'd walk an aisle and bow a knee. But it has dropped off terribly. Well, I'll just sit in my seat. Can we pray in our seat? Yes. I understand we can. But let's be honest. How was your spirit then versus now? There's something about walking an aisle that humbles us. There's something about bowing a knee before God in response to something that we just heard. And I'm not saying that every message that I preach is, is some amazing message, but let me tell you, you're getting the Bible. And God's Word, if you come hungry, you're going to get something. But what are we doing with it? If all we're doing is, okay, that was nice. Back out the auditorium and out the doors, back to life. And no decisions. It changes our spirit. It changes our attitude. We become complacent. Don't be complacent with our walk with God. Don't be complacent with our responses to God's word, the invitations and altar calls and, and just being uh, yielded. Uh, amens and praise the Lord during preaching. Don't be quiet. It impacts the service. It tells everybody, I agree with that. Or, oh me, that just hit me right between the eyes, one of the two. But you know what silence does? Silence is contagious. Silence will kill a service. It will. Does it impact the truth of God's word? No. But it sure changes how it's received. And it's a lot easier to fall asleep. Stay engaged. Wake the person up next to you with an amen. <laughs> it's like that pastor that was preaching and uh, looked down and there was a man sleeping 
uh, and sort of like happens uh, here often, and uh, you've I end up putting you to sleep, and uh, anyway, this preacher is preaching, and the man was was uh, sleeping, and he he looked at another man and said, "Hey, wake him up!" And the man looked back at the pastor and said, "You put him to sleep, you wake him up." And so, you know, but let's not be complacent. Let's not be complacent in the music serve part of the service. Sing, praise the Lord, be engaged. This this it's part of our worship. Church should not be a dead place. COVID has killed spirits across the board. It's like all of a sudden now we all become these little recluses. Don't talk to me. Don't say hi to me. Don't shake my hand. Keep your six feet. I was just somewhere earlier in the week, and uh, somebody was talking about how they, they went in, uh, and maybe it was, brother, oh, it was Brother Dustin, we were talking, and he had a, uh, somebody uh, come in for, it was a doctor, I think, and so he started to step towards the doctor, and the doctor kept doing this number, you know, just backing off, fearful. I said, you should have given him a big hug, and so uh, anyway, but people are, they're afraid. Uh, but, you know, don't be complacent. Don't be complacent in our music. Don't be complacent in getting the gospel out. You know who hands out a gospel track? People who have them. People who have them. You know, if we're not passing out a gospel track, chances are we're not asking anybody whether or not they're a believer. If we're, not, if we're not giving them a gospel track, we're not, we're not asking them, hey, can I show you out of the Bible how you can know for sure you're going to go to heaven? It won't happen. We, we can't be complacent. So as I was looking at this church and studying it out, uh, it was these are just things that I, I was looking at and thinking uh, these are areas that we've got to uh, really uh, we've really got to guard in our in our ministry so we don't have a name that we are alive and are dead. So don't be complacent with the gospel. Uh, be be uh, engaged in soul winning. And I'm not saying that everybody has to be at a Saturday soul winning service to be a soul winner, uh, but if if you have the opportunity to come, come. Come. But we can be a soul winner all throughout the week. What about during the services and we have a guest? Sit with them. During invitation, lean over and say, Do you know the Lord is your Savior? Hey, I'll walk forward with you. And don't be complacent with our area of service. This church had works. But works by themselves are not enough. But there has to be works. 
There has to be a place of service. And all of us have opportunities. Let's use those opportunities. The, the world needs the Lord. In this time where people are dying, and no matter what our stance is on COVID, there are people that are dying. They need to be reached. There are families that are hurting. They need somebody to love them. And who better than a child of God? Who better? That's what the Lord wants us to do. So this warning that the Lord has given to this church in Sardis, this warning was not a a death sentence to this church. It was a wake-up call. It was a wake-up call. And I think we need to look into our own lives and say, okay, do I need a wake-up call? Are some areas I need to look at in my own life? Have I let some things slide that I need to pull back into, into place? And this church here, uh, they were a church that had a name, they had a history, they had the testimony, but it was all in the past. And a church that lives in the past is going to die in the present. And that can't be us. Let's, let's make sure that we're not just looking at what used to be. What are we going to do today? What are we going to do tomorrow? What are we going to do this Sunday? Let's try to reach as many as we can. Father, I pray that you'd help us. Thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, uh, I know I went a little bit long tonight, but I do pray that you'd help us uh, to look into our lives. I pray that each and every one of us, Lord, would recognize just the great danger uh, that is that is all around us and the apathy that is going on in this world. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to look into our own mind and heart. And if we've allowed some things to slide, I pray that you would help us to, uh, to remember uh, and, Lord, to uh, strengthen the things that are uh, so they don't die. And, Lord, help us to just get things right. And so I pray that you'd work now, please, for Christ's sake. Amen. Let's stand together. We are going to have a short invitation. The Lord spoke to your heart tonight. You respond. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc4me.org. May God bless you.